Welcome to One Life Online, a podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church, Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon titled Church Membership, presented by Martin Muchoki. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through His Word, by His Spirit, and cause you to walk according to His will, by His grace. Some people wonder, why is church membership necessary? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why is church membership necessary? Why should I be on the role membership of One Life Church or any other local church? For what reason should I be a registered church member? Why should believers be devoted to a local church? Why do local churches ask, please sign a form and you'll be received into our role membership? For what reason? Will you not care for me as a sheep in the same way that you'll care for someone whose details are written down somewhere? Why, pastor, should I be a church member at One Life Church or any other local church for that matter? Let me start by saying what church membership is not. What church membership is not? Church membership is not merely a name or a sign on a piece of paper. That's not it. Church membership is not just a terminology. I'm a member of that church that meets in such or such a location. Church membership is not for control. It's not for coercion. It's not for manipulation. Hey, become a member of this church so that you can give to this church. That is not meaningful or biblical church membership. Church membership is not for numbers. Have you ever been asked that question? Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to church at One Life Church. Oh, where? What is One Life Church? Then you explain, and then the question that follows is, how many church members do you have? Pastors get asked that question a lot. It's not for numbers. It's not for popularity. You know the mega church idea? Hey, look at us. Look at our magnificent programs and buildings and names and the like. In fact, in the Bible, there is no idea of mega church. And whenever the church became big, God sent persecution and dispersed the people. Because the point is to spread the Great Commission and to advance the gospel. Not to build a tower of Babel that takes us all the way to heaven. It's not about us. Church membership is not going into a building. Oh, I go into such and such a building, which sometimes people will say, that's my church, referring to a building. We understand in normal conversations, but it's not going into a building. Church membership is not about filling your spot on Sunday. Have you ever seen those people who get annoyed when someone sat on their chair? This is, this is my spot. This is where I sit. Sometimes I've had people come and sit at the front where I usually see it. It's not a big issue. Some people would make big issues of that. Some people ask me, why don't you have chairs that are comfortable for you as a pastor at the front? I'm like, why do I need a different chair from what my church members are sitting on? It's not about filling your spot on Sunday. Church membership, church membership is not to mean that you cannot move from one fellowship to another. Someone, I asked someone recently, hey, 
why do people find it hard to move from one local church to another? And the person said, oh, because, pastor, you don't know. Pastors make a big deal of it, and they spoil your name, and they abuse your name, and those kinds of things because you moved from their church. You see, that's just a wrong understanding of the scriptures and of the teaching about the church. It's not my church. It's the church of Christ. It's the church that gathers at one life. It's not Pastor Martin's church. I have no church. I am still pursuing my sanctification like you are and following Jesus like you are. Although I'm a shepherd by God's design, do not forget that I'm also a sheep. It's not my church. And so if one day someone feels for one reason or the other, I cannot fellowship any longer in this church and they would like to move personally, I pray for them and I wish them the best. The only thing I ask is that they join another faithful church as soon as possible, brothers and sisters. But there is no pressure. Christ said, I will build my church. Church membership is not for church leaders to force people to remain in a certain place. This is what church membership is not. Sometimes you come against, you come at objections against church membership. Why do you not like church membership? Why are you not on the role membership of One Life Church? And people give reasons. Being a church member is not commanded in the Bible. That is the strongest and closest to the scripture and argument as you will ever find. And it is true. If you look at your Bible, you'll never find you must be a church member. You won't find it. That's why I said it's not for manipulation or coercion. And you can't twist any scripture to force that. It's not there. Objection number two. I do not see the value of being on the role membership of a church. So, so if I'm there, so, so what? Objection number three. All believers are priests. None, therefore, has to be submitted to church leadership. That is true. We have studied that in this church, that the veil was torn into two, and you have equal access to God. You are a priest. If you are a believer, you are a priest. If you are a believer, you are a priest. You can present yourself to God through the high priest, Christ Jesus. Some will object and say, I was in a local church, and I realized that those people are just hypocritical sinners. I say, yeah, that happens. But hey, join the club of sinners who are pursuing sanctification every day. If you join One Life Church, know that you are joining an imperfect group of people. And you may be hurt or offended at some point. Hopefully not intentionally, but we are not perfect. And I will talk about how to deal with that. And as someone once said, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. Because you will spoil it. <laughs> Don't do it. Another objection is that there is no church membership in heaven. That is true, but we are not in heaven, are we? Another objection is I do not want to be tied down to one congregation. Why do I want to be tied down to this church? I don't want to be committed. I don't want people all over my business asking me how I am, whether I've been praying or studying the word. Just leave my life alone. Let me come on Sunday. We just have a peripheral kind of meeting, and then I go home. And it is so consistent with our current generation, isn't it? People don't want to be committed to anything. People want to be like that free radical in the human body. 
But just like that free radical in the human body, it ends up spoiling, killing you, making you sick and unhealthy. Another objection, I am part of the church of God, that is enough for me. Yeah, there you have your ecclesiology right. I can't argue with that. But is it enough for you, as we shall see shortly? Hold that thought. Another objection. I was part of a local church and I was hurt deeply. This is the problem with sheep. Sheep sometimes bite and they devour one another. And as I've said in the past, it's very painful when you're beaten by a sheep because you don't expect it. You expect to be beaten by a dog or a, a hyena or a jackal. Never mind, we don't find those on the streets of Kampala every day. But you expect to be beaten by such kinds of animals. Maybe even a chicken if it is protecting its chicks. But not by a sheep. And I was hurt deeply. I'm sorry. I apologize on behalf of those people. And I commit that as a church member of One Life Church, I will, do, I, will, I will make it my best not to hurt you, not to offend you, not to be an obstacle to you. And so will we commit to one another. And when that happens, we will seek reconciliation as soon as possible and say, I am sorry, I, I hurt you, I offended you. Now, if you are offended or hurt by the word of God, don't take it on me. Take it up with God and go to God and tell him, God, I was, I was cut by your word. That's what they did when Peter preached, isn't it, after Pentecost. They were cut to the heart. And they asked, what shall we do? And they told them what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. It does happen that the word of God cuts to the core. Another objection, it is too legalistic. It is too legalistic. I have to write my name. And Another objection, I do not agree with parts of what we believe or what we teach or statement of beliefs. Have you ever looked at our statement of beliefs and you felt, no, I don't agree with you about a triune God, for example, or whatever other facet of our statement of beliefs. And perhaps a final objection is that my time here is only temporary. I belong to another local church in my home country or wherever else. And arguments have been made about the whole issue of dual membership. And it's a reasonable argument. Maybe you come from Tanzania or Tanzania, and you belong to a local church there, Wildlife Church, Dar es Salaam. But you have been sent here as a soldier or on a short-term mission or you're here for just a short period of time. Should I then be a role member of this church? I know I am going back after some time. That's reasonable, isn't it? It's better than I do not agree with what we believe or statement of beliefs or what we teach. The Bible, brothers and sisters, is the foundation for all Christian faith and practice. And it is the final authority on all matters of faith and life, not me. Certainly not our statement of beliefs. The statement is an attempt to succinctly describe the fundamental truth which we consider to be important as a church. Because we are living in a world of shifting values where truth is often regarded as relative to our opinions, we as a church want to anchor our teaching and practice in the Bible based on commonly agreed 
long-standing evangelical beliefs. That's why we want our anchor to lay on, to be upon, to stand on, on the scriptures. But if we start arguing about should we sing contemporary music or hymns, should we sing both, should we arrange our chairs like this or the other way, should we have wooden or plastic or metallic or glass chairs, should we live stream our service, what colors should we have as, as the theme colors of One Life Church, and, and so many other things, we'll just go into a rabbit hole, we can never get out of it. But we say we will anchor our teaching and practice in the Bible and trust Christ our Lord and be led by his spirit in everything that we do. And so, yes, being a church member, being a member of a local church is not expressly commanded in the scriptures. But to fulfill the word of God without being a committed member of our local church, brothers, as you shall see, is not possible. Being a member of a local church, though not dictated directly by the Bible, is nonetheless affirmed, encouraged, commended, expected, and even implied. In at least 10 ways, we see the necessity of church membership. 10 ways. I came armed. First of all, for congregational gathering. When we read the the Greek word church, it means people who have been called out of and separated unto. Called out of the world, the sinful world, and to be separate from whoever is a sinner, deliberate sinner, and to follow Christ Jesus. So that we are no longer following the ways of sin. We are following the ways of Christ. Such people gather together as one for the purpose of worship and serving the Lord. So the church is seen as both local and universal. Local and, and universal. The universal church is all of God's people everywhere who have believed in Christ Jesus. The local church is a community of God's people into one micro-community. We call local. We are here. I'm not in I'm not in uh, Tegucigalpa. Do you know Tegucigalpa in Honduras? Or Reykjavik? Oh, those strange names of cities. We are not there. We are here in Kampala. The church is both visible and invisible. Invisible because we cannot truly know all of the church at every point. Truly we can't know. And we can't start doing the process of separating now because Christ said what? A time will come when I will separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares. Right now it may be very hard to know. That's why Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But I do not determine who enters. Neither does anyone except Christ himself. But the church is also visible because we can be able to know or to evaluate those who profess Christ by their fruits, isn't it? By their fruit you shall know them. In the epistles, we come across the church at Philippi. 
the church at Colossae, the church at Corinth, the church at Rome, the church at Galatia, and today we come to the church at One Life. These were all local, visible gathering of believers. Acts chapter 14, verse 23 says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, 1 Corinthians 11:18 says, When you come together in the church, 1 Corinthians 14:23 says, The whole church become together into one place. Philippians 4:15 that has been read. When you Philippians know in the beginning of the gospel, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but only you. So see references to a local church somewhere. When you read the book of Revelation, you find the seven churches unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, for example, or Smyrna, or Pagamos, or Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They met together at a particular point in history in a dedicated place at set times for the purpose of worship and serving God. The question then comes, are you called from sin and from the sinful world into righteousness and holiness by the Spirit of God, are you? you say yes. Then you, are together, then you are together with other believers for worship on the first day of the week. The question that follows is where do you gather to fulfill this biblical requirement? Where do you gather? No, you cannot gather in every local church in the world. And you cannot gather in the universal church because you are not omnipresent. You are present only at one place at a given time. You cannot be fruitful if you do church hopping, as has been called. Where are you committed to worship and serve your Lord and your Savior? So we find that the necessity, number one, is for congregational gathering. Number two is for mutual accountability. God holds his people accountable for quite a lot. Some of you here are missionaries. Whenever I talk with you, you say, I was sent by my local church. Or I am supported by my local church. Or I am supported by local churches. Certainly you don't mean a building, do you? Because a building cannot support you. But the church is responsible for, for example, sending missionaries. If you read Acts chapter 13, you came across these words. That there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, such as Barnabas and Simeon. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. See all of this, they, 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 a reference to a church, saying we acknowledge this person as a missionary, they have been called to be a missionary, and we are sending them with our love and with our prayers and with our support. Who is sending? The church, a people. For mutual accountability, fulfilling the great commission and preaching the gospel. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We gather together on Sunday and then we spread out. Sometimes people ask, 
One Life Church, while not having evangelistic campaigns in Soroti and Wankulukuku and Nakapiripirit and those kinds of places, and we say maybe we'll have them, we desire to have them, we aspire to have them. However, the gospel is spread by you people who are seated here. By God's providence, God has scattered us all over this city. Even, even outside the district of Kampala or Wakiso or Mukono. When we leave this congregational meeting today, what are you going to be doing during the rest of the week? Working, yes, in business. But the Lord has sent you there as an evangelist for the work of preaching the gospel. There where you are to be a light and a salt. We have a hundred, for example, missionaries, evangelists seated here today. In the Old Testament, the idea was, was come and see. If you want to know who God is, come to the temple and see. But now the idea is go and tell. So go and tell. For mutual accountability is what I'm talking about. Identifying who is part of a local church. That's also part of accountability. If you have read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have read these words in verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together. Now Paul was talking about someone who was living in gross immorality, who was part of the church, sleeping with his mother-in-law or his stepfather, his stepmother, sorry. And the church seems to be allowing it. And that's why Paul writes such hard words in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let this person's soul be cast over to Satan so that their soul may be saved. And then he tells the church, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together. Deal with this matter when you are gathered together. Because it is not the individual determining how things will progress. But the church gathered together. It is not individual people, but the corporate body that decides and defines who a member is. We do that as one left church. The pastor may evaluate. The pastor may give a role membership form. The elders may look at the role membership form. The elders may pray. But it is you, the church, who has the right to say, this person should not be a member of this church because of this reason. Talking of mutual accountability, also about choosing leaders. And I thought about this when I read Acts chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 5, where there was an issue with the Hebraic widows and the Grecian women. And they called the apostle and they said, sort this matter out for us. And they say, eh, this is what you will do. Look out from among you, men, who are qualified to do this work. And here is where I believe the office of a deacon came from. Look out among you seven men of honest report, men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint. And then the apostle says, but we will give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. It's the primary work of the pastor, of the teacher, just to devote himself to the reading of the scriptures. The lecturers that taught me homiletics years ago in Bible school disagreed on how long it should take to prepare someone. But the one who gave the minimum hours said it should take no, no less than 16 hours to prepare one someone. And I was interviewed for this position years ago. I was asked how I prepare my sermon, and I detailed it. 
It takes a lot of my hours, and I enjoy doing it just to deliver a 40-minute sermon. Is it just for the sermon? Mostly it is for me. I've learned a lot in the process, and then I have to digest it and know what the Lord wants me to say. So the saying pleased the whole multitude that we will give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. There are other men who can help with other practical matters in the church. And that's why we have people like Ivan or Jill or Ivan Tall. There is one short and one tall. Never mind the one who is short is only shorter by just maybe a centimeter or something like that. But I think it's easier to just you know, differentiate them like that. And you have other team leaders who serve as deacons. Necessity of church member number three for church discipline. Church discipline is never desired, it is never preferred, it is never enjoyed, it is never intended. The design of God is that matters would be dealt with as confidentially, as quietly, as lovingly as possible. And all for the purposes of restoration and reconciliation. Listen, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 18. This is like a classic text on dealing with issues of sin and of tension between believers. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins, what are you, going, what are you supposed to do? Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have warned your brother. Listen, if there is an issue, don't tell your wife, your friends, your WhatsApp group, your Snapchat group, your WeChat group, your Facebook friends, never mind you don't know them, but the people who you, know, you interact with on Facebook, don't tell those people. Go and tell that person and say, hey, Martin, you offended me. Me, in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's the point, isn't it? I've won my brother. But if he does not listen to you, if he's obstinate, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Hey, this issue is on my heart. By the way, that person offended me. They, they really did offend me. But they have refused. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm seeing the matter from a different perspective. Hey, I'm going to take Titus and, and Jonathan and Ricky and, uh, and, and someone else and Godfrey and let the, the four of us together go and let them listen to this matter. If he refuses, verse 17, to listen to them, then what are you to do? Then tell it to the church. Because at this point, it's unlikely that four people would judge a matter wrongly. It's possible, but it's highly unlikely. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, someone who doesn't know God, because they are refusing to submit the people of God and to the instructions of the scriptures. They don't want reconciliation. Oh, by the way, note in verse 15, if your brother sins, go. Don't wait for them to come. Go. And I'm saying this from personal experience. I have gone on numerous times. It's not easy, but it's been very fruitful at the end when I've felt I've offended someone in one way or the other. Again, I say unto you, verse 18, sorry, truly I say to you, verse 18, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. 
I know, I know. This is used more for encouraging one another in fellowship. <laughs> hey, you know, I know we are very few in this time of prayer, but don't worry, brothers. If two or three are gathered together, the Lord is there with us. That is true, by the way. But applied correctly, it refers to sorting out issues among church members. Because it's, it's not a simple issue of saying, of saying, hey, we are going to remove this person from our membership so that they can see what they are missing and how far they have gone into this sin. Let them stay apart. They're not casting them away. And this is not talking about excommunication. The purpose is restoration and reconciliation, brothers and sisters. But it is not unusual to come across professing Christians who are blatantly resistant, disobedient, and obstinate in a particular sin. So for purposes of church discipline which we pray will never happen. But if it does, we deal with it privately, isn't it? Remembering the words of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. That if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such person in a spirit of gentleness, of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know, it is easy to point a finger, but to forget that three fingers are pointing back at you. So you evaluate yourself, I evaluate myself. Eh, but eh, I who am condemning this person, what about me? Am I guilty of the same sin? Oh, I am not. I have not committed adultery. Really? Jesus says, if you have looked at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery. And at that point when you are tempted to be proud about that issue, you go like, wow. I have to introspect and think. And you go like, I've never killed anyone. I've never killed. That person killed someone. And then here, Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of that very same sin. Oh, I've never committed idolatry. I don't worship any false gods, small g. Then the Bible says that covetousness is idolatry. You see how the Bible is like a light, always pointing to us. By the time you go to say, I am clean, holy, righteous. You read the scriptures and, you're, and it's like a mirror. It just gives you a reflection of who you are. Oh, that person doesn't even attend church. We haven't seen them for two months. Uh, and for me, wh why do I attend church, by the way? Do I attend so that I can be seen? Or do I attend so that I can worship God? The self-righteousness is killed by the scriptures at that point, brothers and sisters. And so if a man is overtaken in a sin, if you ever come across anyone overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of meekness. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Number four. Necessity of church membership is for submission to church leadership. When we went through 1 Peter, we read in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2 to verse 4. The elders are told to feed the flock of God. They are told to take the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords of a God's heritage, but by being examples to the flock. By God's grace, we have been blessed at this church to have elders who fit this very criteria whether Dr. Jeff, whether Brett, whether David, whether Godfrey. And what a blessing 
that is. But what is this flock of God or God's heritage but committed Christians in a local church who are led by gifted men, prayed for, and set apart for eldership by the church that they oversee? And who is this elder but the overseer, the pastor of a given people? Did you ever know that you cannot pastor yourself? <laughs> you cannot shepherd yourself. Neither can you be a flock if you are an individual. Once in a while, I forget how it was when I was a church member. I was not always a pastor, by the way. I was a salesperson. Oh, and I enjoyed selling. It was, it was, it was very, very fulfilling. I'm, I'm, I, I speak that from my heart. And just serving customers and marketing and advertising just came naturally and I enjoyed it. But I was not always a pastor. So once in a while, I usually step back and I remind myself, how was my life when I was a church member? See, for example, when I go back to my home this afternoon, um, Sunday for a pastor is like a repeated deadline. You finish one sermon, just when I go home, I'm thinking of the next one. So I spend most of my time in the Word or in prayer or in issues related to the church. But before I was a pastor, I used to spend my time selling, interacting with people, being annoyed by those finance people in the office who refuse to give you all the money you want to market and sell. You know, if you've worked in an organization, you know that the finance department and the marketing department always collide because we want more money, but they don't want to give any money. This was the life, and you can relate with it if you're in business. You go out and you meet with people who are not ready to pay you. You supplied, there was an LPO, they are not honoring it. How shall you deal with these people? I don't, on a day-to-day -day basis for the most part. That's why I keep saying the pastor is a shepherd. The pastor cannot shepherd himself. No one can shepherd themselves, and no one can be a flock as an individual. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pastors will stand before God and give an account. One day, I will stand before God and give an account. Sometimes that causes me to feel like I want to leave the ministry and go back and do something else. Because I dread, was I faithful to the word? Was I faithful in prayer? Did I give my time to this? Did I love these people? Did I care for them? Did I, if God was to ask me, am I doing it? And am I living a life that is holy and sanctified and righteous? Am I caring for my family? Am I neglecting them? I will stand before God and give an account. Who will I give an account for? All Christians everywhere, certainly not. There has to be a dedicated, committed people, are people who regularly gather together and share life together, who have decided to submit to the spiritual authority of specific church elders. And coming to the church and the particular member, he has to ask himself who he shall submit to. You know, you cannot submit to every church leader in the community, in the city, in the country, in the region, or in the continent. You can't. That's why the issue of choosing a church is, is never easy. I grew up in one church all my life, but at some point I decided to change. I um, still went back to the same church, although it was a replant, shortly after. But there were reasons I decided to change. We and I and Victoria decided to change. 
It's not easy. Don't just go into a church. Just think, why am I going here? Is it because of the faithful preaching? Is it because of the music? Is it because I want community or fellowship? Is it a combination of all of this? That I love this place. I'm ready to submit to this leadership. Reason number five for genuine fellowship. Think of the many times God asks that we think about others first. It's the way to joy, isn't it? Jesus first, others second, you third. Or last, if you prefer, J-O-Y. Have you read the one and others of the people of God in the Bible? At least 50 times the New Testament gives those words, one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. You are members one of another. Be kindly affectionate toward one another. Receive one another. Be like-minded one to another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Do not be puffed up against one another. Wait for one another. This is during communion. Care for one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. Provoke not, envy not, devour not one another. Bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Submit yourselves to one another. Lie not one to another. Increase and abound in love for one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Edify one another. Exhort one another. Consider one another. Grudge not one against another. Confess your sins to one another. Have compassion one to another. Use hospitality one to another. Minister one to another. Fellowship one with another. Send gifts one to another. The one another's of the New Testament. Go and read them. And ask, how am I fulfilling this? And how can we live this out as a commitment without this kind of gathering of God's people? To who? It's not to you, it's to one another. What about praying for one another, exhorting others, encouraging others, sharing life? To do this and to do it sincerely, genuinely, and for it to have a lasting and meaningful effect, you need a committed fellowship to do that. Whether as a life group, whether as one life church, need a community. Now, while, listen, I'm not ignorant. I know this is elusive. I know this <laughs> demands vulnerability and mutual relationship and recipro reciprocity and, and openness. And that's not easy to just open up your heart and mind to someone else. It's not. You need to have trusted that person. It can nevertheless be achieved over time when a people are devoted to each other. Reason number six, and this is closely related to fellowship, is the necessity of being in a local church for the cultivation of authentic relationships. If I was to ask by a show of hand, who wants to have authentic relationships? I think everyone here would raise up their hand and say, I want that. I don't want anything fake. I want what is authentic. You must have people that you share life with, all the joys and the sorrows, all the highs and the lows. You need a body of believers, dear friend, that can speak into your life, that can correct, that can advise, that can support, that can be with you. And all of this mutually. Because some people feel, hey, because I'm an elder, because I'm in this position, it's only me to tell you. It's only me to tell you. And they don't want to be told. They don't want to be told. They don't want to be told. That's not the case. It goes either way. The number of times that I have enjoyed this at this fellowship are many. 
just people speaking into my life or advising me or counseling me. And some of you know I've come to you for counsel and advice. So it's not just about I'm the pastor, so it's me to tell you. No, it's us to help one another in authentic relationship. Number seven, and this is in the case of One Life Church, why you should be a church member <laughs> is because we are required by law, believe it or not, a Ugandan law. The role or list of real people in membership with One Life Church is the necessary legal and administrative proof of our existence as an organization. And that's a reality. And it demonstrates that we are a church, a body of committed believers. So any organization or profession like URSB and URA, which Juliet handles on a regular basis, or other governmental bodies may request proof that we are a church by asking how many people we have registered. It is both wise and practical to demonstrate that the elders of the board are not standing alone, but they are actually a body of people whom we represent. Number eight, in the case of One Life Church, also for our annual review, other is called AGM, annual general meeting. The leadership of the church is financially, operationally, and legally accountable to the congregation. And this is achieved where? Through the members meeting every year. Or more than a year if we require a special members meeting. That's why you look at the finances, you look at the leadership, you look at things. You look at it and you ask questions and you query. And you ask, why are we doing this? Why are we not doing the other? Have we considered this? Number nine, to observe biblical ordinances. And these are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Regarding communion, we read from 1 Corinthians that when you gather together, tarry for one another. Wait for one another. This partaking as a local church, you know, it's, it's a means of grace because it reminds us what Christ did and our position in him. Do not neglect it, communion or Lord's Supper. There is a spiritual aspect that cannot be gotten anywhere when we gather together like that. We also stand with those who are being baptized, saying that we agree and support their public affirmation of their inward transformation, which is what baptism is. We agree that these people are born again, and we will evaluate them with biblical standards and that we will care for them deeply. Baptism and the Lord's Supper is why you should be in the role membership of One Life Church. And finally, for congregational giving, for God's work. First Corinthians chapter 16 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So sacrificial giving, offerings, tithe, donations, gifts for the work of the gospel of Christ in a local church is required. It is part of our worship. You commit to a local church that feeds and nourishes you and you give to it. Now I know we disagree as a church on matters of tithes and offerings. Some people feel no, tithes were attached to the old covenant. And they will have an argument that you can't no, you can't counter easily. And they'll calculate all the tithes in the Old Testament and you see it's actually somewhere between 20 to 28%, all the tithes they were supposed to give. 
and they were given for a specific purpose to a specific people in a specific way. And they say, okay, we, we don't believe that. I don't, I'm not convinced. So what they are convinced by is what the New Testament talks about, the sacrificial giving, the willing giving, the giving of everything if he takes that. But whatever you are convinced of in the matter of tithes or offerings or sacrificial giving, if you are part of a local church, you must give. And you must give sacrificially. You may either say, I'll dedicate 10% of my giving to the church, or I'll just, I'll just give sacrificially. I'll give a one-time donation or gift. Because you are part of the church, because you're submitted under the leadership of the church, because you value the work of the church. And as I've said, we have an annual review where we look at how this money has been spent. We have a budget, if you didn't know, every year. We are going to prepare one before June for the next financial year, which is ending in June. We have a church accountant, a board treasurer. In the passage that was read by Mike in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 to verse 19, it ends that by, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I encourage you to read those in context. <laughs> Ever saw one of those t-shirts written, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context? It's a paranomasia, a pun. It's a play on words. It's because of how that verse has been abused. Paul is talking about his learned to be hungry, what it means to be hungry or to be full. In whatever circumstance, he's learned to be content. And because of that reason, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. When he says that my goal shall supply all your needs, it's because the church at Macedonia had supplied for his physical needs as a missionary, as an evangelist. And he, in turn, had supplied for their spiritual needs. And for that reason, my God shall supply all your needs. See, that's how it is as a church. Yes, I'm a pastor. I need to be paid. I have a family to take care of, by the way and needs to run every day. And I do need to be paid, and it's the reality. And the work needs to continue. There are registration issues. We have employees. You sit here on Sunday and you enjoy the service. There is a responsibility, a biblical responsibility, without coercion or manipulation, for you to give if you feel that God is also giving to me through the preaching of the word. And you're not giving to me directly, by the way. It's going to an account being monitored, and I get a salary at the end of the month, just to be clear with that. But you're a church member also because you commit to give to the Lord in that way, and because you have a faithful understanding of what it means. If you're seated there and you sign the form, and you said, I want to be a role member of One Life Church, I don't want to call out all the names for the sake of time. I invite you to kindly come up here. If you are seated there and you have been part of One Life Church, I said we are reformulating our membership. And we stopped on March 20th, didn't we? And we are back on March 20th by God's grace. During that time, being an international church, some people have left Uganda. A few people have even left One Life Church and they are attending churches that are near where they live. So, and I know there is a committed group of people who have been coming and they give and they, and they serve. I know that. But if you are a registered member of One Life, you know I was there on the list. 
I invite you to please stand up on your feet and come here. And I will ask the elders to come and stand with me that we may pray for this. Thank you for listening to God's Word today. Feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705-581-369 or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church, Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission.